0: How are we doing? Thank you. I like that cheer. Uh, it's, uh, it is good to be here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it, as uh, Sean mentioned uh, earlier, my name is Josh Petrus. If we uh, haven't met before, it is good to meet you here at the, the intimate Intaza uh, here near Skybox Canyon. It is a, uh, a joy to, uh, to be here tonight. Uh, And before I get started, just a a special thank you, gratitude for being here. Uh, I know Sean means a lot to a lot of you. For me, he was my personal discipler in high school. Uh, So grateful just for the investment he's made in my life. Such an honor and privilege uh, to get to be here tonight. So thank you, Sean. I'm I'm looking forward to opening up God's Word with you. And I'm happy to be here in Murrieta, where Murrieta where I grew up. But things have changed as I've been gone. I mean, you guys now have a giant hipster coffee shop. (laughs) Look at this. This is awesome. It's so cool. You know, like I know there's been subtle changes you've been working on, like a golden corral and a black bear diner. Uh, But now you have it in Taza, and that that is a good place to be. That is good. So it is. uh, We'll have some uh, fun here tonight. I will say this is the first time I've ever gotten to teach in a coffee shop. How many of you, is is this your first time listening to a sermon in the coffee shop? All right, look at that. A lot of firsties tonight. So there we go. If you've got your Bible, go if you would to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking at the gospel of Mark in chapter 8. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 30. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 30. Let's read together text reads, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, He called His disciples to Him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with Me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And His disciples answered Him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And He directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, He broke them and gave them to His disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, He said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And He took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And He sent them away. Immediately He got into the boat with His disciples and went into the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 12. and the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not understand? And they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and let him, let him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him he asked him do you see anything and he looked up and said I see people but they look like trees walking then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying do not even enter the village And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can meet here together tonight. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word that we would that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. That according to your word that you would revive our souls, that you would make us wise that you would increase our affections for you. And that we would behold your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's fun to reminisce uh, for me when I come back to Marietta to think about what things used to be like before I came here, uh, how things are different, as I've already mentioned, black bear diner, hipster coffee shops, Mulligan's is still standing strong and is the entertainment empire that we will be probably for the next two hundred years. Um, it's also fun to go back in time to, you, know, you always look back at what the technologies were like when you were a kid as opposed to what they're like now. Uh, so when I was going to elementary school, middle school, uh, there weren't iPhones cell phones were barely a thing. I remember my mom having a pager. Does anyone remember what a pager is? This little box that would rumble and the person had have to leave the room. And then, and then I always like to think back even further, like, could you imagine explaining to somebody a hundred years ago, uh, who lived a hundred years ago, what things are like today? Explaining to them the telephone, but without a cord. In fact, explaining a telephone that seems to do almost everything except make phone calls and whatever. We don't seem to use it for that anymore. Uh, Imagine explaining commercial air travel uh, that we can actually fly around all over the country. Uh, But I think the technology that would most amaze them, that would most shock them, that would probably most scare them is LASIK eye surgery. (laughs) How many of you have had LASIK eye surgery? Just Morgan. There we go. All right, good. (laughs) For those of you who aren't aware that, yes, vision has been a problem for people for centuries, uh, and there have been glasses, as many of you are wearing today, many ways you could solve this. But in recent years, we have developed a technology where you shoot laser beams into the eyes of a person to make them see better. <laughs> Terrifying. I remember 2013, uh, my wife, Katie, uh, who had worn contacts for years, said, Man, all I really want is eye surgery. I don't want to pay for contacts anymore. And I got to tell you, as a husband, I was terrified. Because they're like, so it's going to be easy. We're just going to send her in, shoot these things into her eyes. She'll come back fine. I'm like, what do we do with this? And they're like, insurance. And my head, I'm like, "If this goes wrong. This guy's going to need a lot more than good insurance. Uh, but but uh, I'm, you know, I'm working through it. And it was the most incredible thing. Uh, we went in for surgery at 3.30. She was done by 4.00. She was in bed that night by 6, had you know, bandages over her eyes. She woke up the next morning, took them off, could see perfectly. Uh, drove uh, the next morning to her follow-up appointment with me in the front seat, obviously. But uh, she, she could see well enough to drive. Incredible, incredible technology that we have today. And, and when I think about the risk or how scary it is, I, I will often think, what would compel somebody to do this? And the answer is pretty obvious. Vision. We need to be able to see. Of all the senses that we have, five of them, uh, vision is the one that we use most often. Uh, vision is irreplaceable. Uh, blindness, in a way, unlike other, the other senses, makes you uh, others dependent. But we need vision. Blindness can be devastating. And in our passage tonight, we, we read about a blind man. And if you think blindness is devastating in our culture, think about blindness in first century Israel. There's no government programs. There's no special books that you can use to read with your hands. There's no tax dollars going to help you out. If you were a burden on society, if if you wanted to make your life totally dependent on others, it would be to be a blind person in first century Israel. Uh, This this person would have lived in a town in a small house, obviously a, a one bedroom house. and In order for them to survive, they would have needed the kindness and generosity of others. That every morning they would have needed somebody to take them from their house, to place them in the public square. Uh, allowing them to beg, ask for alms, ask for food, and not being able to see how many people are there, not being able to tell what time of day it is based on sight. And then at the end of the day, they would need the kindness of another person to bring them back home for the evening in order to repeat the same thing again the next day. And that's the person you meet here in verses 22-26. This blind man that they're begging Jesus to heal him, and what is amazing about this text, though, if we've been reading through Mark together, it's it's not that incredible, is that they bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus restores his sight. Uh, this formerly blind man, or formerly he is now a formerly blind man. This man who once could see, who at some point lost his vision, could now see again. And we could go on and on about various aspects of Christ in this passage. I mean, Jesus, as we read through Mark, is powerful, one with authority over nature, over creation, over people. Uh, We see Jesus' compassion in this text. At the beginning of chapter 8, we see that he has compassion on the 4,000 starving people. What stands out to me, and should stand out to you if you're reading, is the way that Jesus heals this man. A very peculiar way to heal, especially for Jesus. Notice he says verse 23, he spit on his eyes. Okay, all you know, all in favor of honesty, a little weird, right? That's strange. Uh, if you went to your doctor and said, like, hey, I just things are a little fuzzy, like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you would be <laughs> real nervous. Like, what is he doing here? So that's a strange method going on there. The other strange fact is this two-part healing. You know, Jesus at other times heals people instantaneously. I mean, often without touching them. He says to the paralytic that's lower down in front of him, he just says, arise and walk. And he can walk. With a word, he grabs the little girl who's died in Mark chapter 5, and he raises her from the dead. Uh, the, the woman that's been bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus and she's instantaneously healed. Uh, but Jesus, uh, Jesus in this text feels the need not only to uh, actively get involved, but there's this two-part healing where he spits in his eyes and covers his eyes and says, can you see? And he says, well, now I can see, but it's, it's blurry. They kind of look like tall trees walking around. It's indistinct, but I could see something. And then he gives this second step. You know, when Jesus would cast out the demoniac, cast out the demoniac, killed a man that was demon possessed, he didn't say, all right, lie low for a little while. You'll need a few days to recover. Uh, He doesn't raise the girl from the dead and go like, okay, you should go to urgent care. It's about a two to three week recovery, right? It's this instantaneous recovery. So so why in this passage is there this two-step process? In fact, even more strangely, this is not the first time that Jesus had healed blindness. Why does Mark, the gospel writer Mark, include this text, these five verses about this blind man and the spitting and all that stuff in this narrative? Why is this passage here? What what's the purpose behind it? Uh, Because Mark wants to teach us something tonight about blindness Uh, and not physical blindness there, there are 3.5 million people in the world who suffer with some degree of blindness but what we want to look at tonight is spiritual blindness uh, that much more devastating than not being able to see in this world is to be spiritually blind to be physically blind has some consequences for sure to be spiritually blind will have eternal consequences you can get medical help. You can do research. There are things that you can do when you're physically blind. Friend, you could be spiritually blind and not even know about the blindness you have. having Living with a permanent blind spot. And this text tonight exists to, to show us that Jesus can not only heal physical blindness, but that He can actually give spiritual vision. Uh, this evening I want to look at this text in terms of... Blindness and I want you to see how Jesus can help and we're going to look at these 30 or these 30 verses We're not going to go into every detail, but just kind of an overview We're going to break it down into three points. The first thing I want you to learn from this passage is that unbelief is blindness unbelief is blindness Now it is important to remember as we read this that Jesus that Jesus is on a mission if you have your Bible, go to, go to Mark 1, just to kind of give you some context for the Gospel of Mark, because this will, this will help. Mark 1, 14, 15 helps you understand what Jesus is doing in this, in this book, what this book is about. Mark 1, 14, verse 15 says, Now after uh, John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Here's the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus is that king. And what you need to do is turn from your old way and believe that message. That the gospel of Mark aims to press you into the kingship of Jesus. That every aspect of your life Would be permeated by his rule, his reign. Not just Sundays, not just Friday nights, but but every moment, every decision, every affection, every desire would fall under his reign. And so Jesus' primary mission is preaching. Though he does miracles, that's his main aim. And that being said, he does amazing miracles. I mean, as you go through Mark, you see the greatness and beauty of Christ. How Jesus with a word calms a storm and with a word casts out a demon and out of nothing is able to create bread to feed 5,000 people. And when we get to Mark chapter 8, we read this story about people who are hungry. And we read Jesus feeding 4,000 people. And if you're reading through this, You would stop and think, wait a second. This is a rerun. I've seen this episode before. Mark chapter 7, he feeds 5,000 people here. Mark chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 people. You know, if if you're Netflix binge watching, this is where you get upset. You're like, something went wrong. I've already watched this episode. I never watch reruns. This is the worst form of evil. And and therefore, I'm going to go ahead and and skip on now. But it's not. It's, It's a different story, but it seems similar we've we've read this and what we find is some truth about christ but we learn that jesus is in fact god the same god who created this world out of nothing jesus has that same power that ex nihilo out of nothing he creates bread and he multiplies fish enough to feed four thousand and have leftovers that they've got seven baskets full when it's all said and done. And if you saw this, if you saw this, I know that most people are like, oh man, if I saw this, I would believe. If I saw this, I would love Christ. And that really gets us to the plot of our sermon because not everybody did. You see this amazing miracle and you come to verse 11. And it reads, the Pharisees came and begin to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. In other words, they come and say to him, are are you the Christ? Are you God's King? Then prove it. Show us something. Give us anything that would make us think that you actually are, The Son of God that you are, Christ. Give us a sign from heaven. Give us something radical. And Jesus's response, it says in verse twelve, is to sigh deeply. You know what that is? That's annoyance. You know what it's like when that person in front of you keeps changing lanes back and forth on the freeway because they think they're going to. You know, you just go, ah. That's what that is. Because think about what these people are asking. They're saying, can you give us some sort of sign? what do you mean a sign? He just fed 4,000 people with nothing. He's already fed 5,000 people with nothing. Why does he he sigh? He's going, you guys, no matter what I show you, you will not believe. And so his response is, I'm not going to show you a sign. Why? Because I've already shown you a sign. Do you realize how much the Pharisees have already seen here in Mark? They saw Jesus through the feeding as we've already discussed. They were present when the man with the withered hand instantaneously was healed. They were present when the paralytic was healed. They were there when demons were cast out. The Pharisees had seen all of this and still do not believe. This gets us to a theme in the Gospel of Mark. That unbelief Is a choice. Uh, uh, Unbelief is a state of the heart. It's a decision that you make. And we see here they, they had this unbelief. That's why in verse 15 he says, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod, because these are examples of unbelief. That seeing the goodness and greatness of Christ, they still do not believe. And what we learn in this text is that unbelief is described in another way. Unbelief is blindness. Sin is blindness. Look, it is one thing to look at the greatness of Christ and reject Him. It's wicked to look at the greatness of Christ and reject Him. Sinners are evil because they see the glory and the splendor and the wonder of Jesus and say, I don't want any part of that. But we learn that sinners aren't just evil. They're blind. That seeing, they do not perceive. That though the truth is right in front of them, staring at them in the face, they reject it. You see, in this passage, some of those important questions about faith are answered. Let me ask you if you've ever thought this. Why did every single one of my friends in my friend group growing up walk away, but I still love Christ? Why did I choose Jesus, but my older brother didn't? Why am I still following after the Lord? Why do church kids who seem to have so little interest in Jesus eventually have this vibrant relationship with Christ? while the good kids seem to have all walked away. Why, after sharing the beauty of the gospel, do people just ho hum reject it? The reason? Spiritual blindness. That they cannot see the truth. Unbelievers often will jest and make fun of Christians and they'll talk about blind faith. But that's not a biblical term. What is a biblical term? is blind unbelief you've heard the phrase seeing is believing it's not true that's not true you see unbelievers are not just lost they are blind we see this in the rest of scripture second Corinthians 3 says that they have a veil over their eyes listen, 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, they cannot perceive the truth. They're dead in their sins, as Ephesians 2 would say, born spiritually blind. You've experienced this, right? That you try to point out the fallenness of man and they just don't even see their own sin. They make up excuses. Well, I'm not a liar. I just exaggerate. Uh, I don't have a, a problem. I just have an addictive personality. Uh, they don't see the need. I mean, if you're a Christian, right? In there are times where you're singing songs like Rock of Ages. You're singing songs like Before the Throne. And you just cry because you're so overwhelmed that God in his goodness would show grace to a sinner like you. And yet there is no beauty in the gospel for the unbeliever that they hear it and are just not moved or annoyed or angered. It's blindness. The Pharisees refuse to believe and they want a sign and what they don't realize is that Jesus has already shown them Enough. I mean, how many of you have heard your friends say before, I would believe in God if he just blank." If this issue just got taken care of, I would believe. I remember sitting at Richie's Diner, another classic myriad establishment, and I, and I remember sitting there with my grandpa, and I purposeful was about sharing the gospel with him, uh, and I wanted to speak with him, and at the end of all of it he goes, Josh, I just don't understand with all the evil in this world, how God could exist. And if Christ would just make himself manifest, then I'd believe. And I had to graciously tell him that's actually not true. Because the unbeliever doesn't want to follow Christ. And so therefore they're blind. Okay, no matter how much truth you try to show, they will not decide to follow Jesus on their own. That is these that is a description of these Pharisees. I could be a description of some of you here tonight. That that you're blind to your own need. You're blind to the gospel. By the way, blindness isn't just unwillingness to agree with the truth. You know, a blind person can know you should turn left on the road going up. Uh, you, You can know information and still be spiritually blind. How? Because you don't have the right affections to go with that. How could you really say you see the truth if you didn't feel that way? That was my testimony. Uh, I thought I was a Christian. I grew up you know, cussing less than the other kids. Uh, I knew that Jesus was you know, part of the Trinity, so I know those other religions are wrong. But there's no joy, there's no love for Christ. I was blind. That's the state of the unbeliever. And yet what we see in this passage is that there is good news that Jesus can help blind people see. That Jesus can open the eyes of the blind, not just physically, but spiritually, not just intellectually, help people understand convictions and doctrine, but that their hearts would sing about the beauty of Christ, that they might treasure Him and adore Him. Isaiah 42, 6, I will lead the blind by a way that they do not know, in pastor that they do not know. I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them in rugged places into plains. I mean, isn't this one of the most popular gospel songs we sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Acts 26.18, uh, Jesus speaking to Paul said that he sent Paul to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from dominion of Satan to God. Even in Paul's conversion, Acts 9, these scales fall off his eyes to show that his eyes have been opened. This is what Jesus does for spiritually blind people. He shows mercy and helps them to see the glory of God in his own person. Can I ask you, has he done this for you tonight? Has he opened your eyes to help you to see the hopelessness of your own sin? to help you to see that without Him you would be lost forever, that in your own good deeds that you have nothing before God. Has He helped you to put all your trust in Him? Not just intellectually, but that He would be your treasure. If He has, friends, if you're a Christian here tonight, you should be grateful and you should be humble because God has opened your eyes. That the reason you love Christ, the reason you recognize your sin, was not because you had some evidence that was perfectly articulated to you, but because God in His goodness has made you to see. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That God rescues sinners. This is good news, by the way, for evangelism. And some of you are a little nervous of evangelism. You're, you're afraid to, to share the gospel with people. And, and I understand. I went to MSJC. You know, it's there's some interesting people. At MSJC students, where you at, go Eagles. Uh, you tell me about how the football team's doing later. I'm always curious. But anyway, um, more or less. But right. But what we need to recognize is that the power to convert is not in our persuasion. Sometimes we think if I just come with just the right arguments and just the right apologetics. And, and we should come with verses. And we should be thoughtful. And winsome in how we speak. But it's the power of Christ to open their eyes. And the vilest of sinners can have their eyes opened by Jesus. See, in their sin, these unbelievers are blind. But as many of us can attest tonight, Jesus opens the eyes of blind people. So point number one, unbelief is blindness. Sin is blindness. But number two, maturity is about removing blindness. Maturity is about removing blindness. See, what's funny is in this passage, the people who are most blind, it would seem, are not the Pharisees. The people who just seem haven't been getting it now for a few chapters are the disciples. Take a look at chapter 6. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walks on the water. At the end of chapter 6, verse 50, it says, "...for they all saw Him and were terrified." And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And they got in the boat with him, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Why? For they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. They weren't getting who Jesus was. And you really get this in chapter seven. And even as I read, I think I heard someone laugh because it's kind of comical. Chapter seven, verse 14. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of, Le- of Herod. He's saying, beware of their unbelief. And they hear him mention bread. And the disciples realize they only brought one loaf of bread with them. And they all look at each other like, shoot. Jesus knows that we forgot Bread. Man, he's going to really give us a hard time for this. We are getting uh, talking to you. We forgot bread. Dummies, what are we going to eat? Guys, you have an automatic bread machine right there. <laughs> Always. Do you know how long it takes to make bread? I bought my wife for Christmas a few years ago a book called the, the Bread Bible, which was a gift to me more so because I've, I've benefited from the fruits of that. So she's uh-huh. making focaccia. She's making sourdough. Does anybody make fresh bread at home? You've got to, like, keep this, like, thing alive. There's, like, this mother dough. You've got to, like, feed it with flour and water. It, it's a process. Jesus bread for days. Bread on end, right? And, and they're worried, like, man, we're going to get bread from it. And he says to them, are, you know, in short, are you guys dumb? Right, do, you, <laughs> do you not see? Uh, do you not, verse 17, do you not perceive, understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes? Do you not see? Verse 21 says, do you not yet understand? What we find here is that these believers suffer from a temporary blindness. You see, there is a blindness of the Pharisees, and it's a a blindness due to unwillingness that they cannot see the glory and the greatness of Christ. They don't want to see it, so they don't see it. But the disciples are blind due to inability. This is not like the blindness of a blind person, they can't see anything. This is a limited blindness or limited vision. Up here right now, it is hot. So I'll let you know I'm trying to roll up my sleeve, my one keeps falling, you know, whatever. It's it's hot. And so, therefore, when I get into the car after, if I don't cool down, something is gonna happen when I Keep driving. You know what's going to happen. Those windows are going to get foggy. And there are many things in life that scientists have figured out how to do. Many diseases we've learned how to cure. I'm still am not quite sure how to defog the windows quickly. I just don't. Someone could disciple me on this later. I try to crack them. Do I know cool air, hot air? I don't know. Some of you right now are just thinking, you dummy. But I'm blind, which is part of the sermon, so we'll work on this later. So anyway, right there, there is this... They can see but they can't see fully. They have sight, but they don't have the complete picture. It's like when you're driving through fog and you have to go slow because your vision is obstructed. The disciples don't fully see. Now we start understanding this two-part healing. This two-part healing is not because Jesus needed a warm-up rep You know, Jesus needed to pray, but he didn't have enough faith yet, and so he healed more. This is a picture of the disciples. You see, the disciples once were blind, and God in his goodness opened their eyes. Christ said they did not choose him, but he chose them. Right? So he has opened their eyes, and yet they still can't see. They still don't quite realize who Christ is. They know he's someone important, but they didn't get the full picture. And so what Jesus does to illustrate this is He partially opens the eyes of this blind man. And the blind man says, I can see people, but they're like, these, they're like trees walking around. I don't see any features. It's just kind of a gray lumps walking around. And so He heals them, and now the man can see perfectly. Jesus does the same thing for His disciples. They see, but not perfectly. And then what happens? Verses 27 to 30. Who do the people say that I am? Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. But who do you say that I am? In the first time in the Gospel of Mark, since chapter 1, verse 1, the good news of Jesus Christ, somebody recognizes who Jesus is. The Christ. Somebody finally sees it. Why? Why? Because Jesus has opened their eyes. Matthew six seventeen actually adds more to this. Matthew sixteen sixteen, uh Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew sixteen, seventeen, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You did not figure this out from people, you did not figure this out from man, wisdom of man, but you figure this out by my Father who is in heaven. Mark wants to make it clear that what Jesus has done for this blind man, He has now done for His disciples. They understand more because Jesus has helped their vision. Uh, this touches on a doctrine that we, we talk about, the doctrine of illumination or of enlightenment, that God helps His people understand. And that not only are our eyes open, Opened at conversion. But that we are in constant need of improved spiritual vision. You see, when you are not a Christian. You had no way of opening your own eyes. You had no way of helping you see and understand. Not just in the head, but in the heart. The good news of the gospel. To help you see your own sin. and God helped you see that. But in your maturity, you are not now independent. You did not get saved and now go, man, I've got it all figured out. I've learned. But we constantly, and continuously uh, need Jesus to open our eyes. We are in a constant state of dependence. You know, I've, I've got a, a little daughter now. She's a little over a, a year old. Her name is Chloe. Little girls, by the way, are awesome. I've got a little dude named Jude, who we call the Jude dude, and he's three years old. And he wants to wrestle and and ride horse, and everything's physical contact. But Chloe is like super sweet. Super sweet. Like she wants to stomp. She smiles like this with like the shoulder. Like she does that. It's awesome. It's so cool. I don't know how I'm ever going to tell her no. Uh, So I've already told Katie about she's going to have to take care of all of that. Uh, But what's. What's amazing is to watch how her vision would increase. That how she could see things, but not from very far away. And then we slowly started realizing, man, she could see stuff. And we learned that because her favorite word became dat. Not T-H-A-T, D-A-T. Dat, 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 like that. And that's all she, she was. She's just asking for stuff on the counter. She could spot her bell doll from across the room. Uh, and her vision must be better than my three-year-old son because she could actually pick out shoes that match. But uh, regardless... <laughs> That might be a genetic thing. Anyway, Uh, right? You you understand what it's like to have your vision increase. Uh, We also some of you understand what it's like if you remember when you were younger and especially guys, your dad would tell you to go out to the garage to get something, and you'd walk out and you go, "I have no idea where this thing is." (laughs) Started happening to me so many times that I just started giving up. When he'd ask and you go get something, I'd just be disheartened immediately. Like it's not going to happen. Right? And then they walk out and they can see it right away. Well, we're like that. that we, our vision is still not perfect. But God helps us by His Spirit. He continues to help us through His Word. Listen to some of these verses. You'll be amazed at how much perception is in the language of maturity. Psalm 19.8 The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The truth opens our eyes. Uh, verses about sin who can discern his errors Acquit me of hidden faults it's God I'm dependent on you I can't even see the sin in my own life I live with spiritual blind spots think about more in walking in holiness open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law incline my heart to your testimonies help me to see them and to obey them how do we grow in maturity 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That as we continue to see and grow in the knowledge of Christ in His glory, it matures us. That's why we learn things, so we see Christ more, so we become more like Him. You know what this is like, right, where you've heard amazing sermons? I just stand out. And in that moment, God, open your eyes and you mature. Uh, I, I remember, you know, listening to Prodigal Son in the car with Sean on the way up to camp. Sermon by John MacArthur. It is, it's the first time I'm like, man, I just heard preaching. Something was different about that. I remember being at a conference in 2008 with a speaker named C.J. Mahaney talking about the cross. And I knew about the cross, but my heart was just open to it. You know what this is like. When we are lacking, it is due to blindness. But God continues to open our eyes through his, by His Spirit and through His Word. We are dependent people, friend. That's why you go to church, by the way. That that's why you show up on Sunday. I think we sometimes show up on Sundays because we want to see friends. Sometimes we want to hear good worship, which we do. But God grows us in His truth. And in case you're wondering, that's a Reality, Jesus literally prayed, "Sanctify them in Thy truth." If Jesus prayed it, you know that's the means by which we grow. You know that's why we need people speaking to our lives. That's why, by the way, we need to be teachable. That's why Proverbs says that the wise man doesn't think he has it all figured out, but he shows, but he has counselors. He has people speak into his life. I just ask you: Are you teachable? Are you one who receives and seeks out feedback into how you're doing? When was the last time you asked a, a spiritual leader, someone who's more mature, hey, what are you seeing in me? Because we're blind. I just ask you, are you faithfully attending a local church? I know that one of the, the sports around here, one of the most popular sports of 20 and 30 year olds in Murrieta, as someone who's grown up in Murrieta, Temecula area, is church hopping. And then people go church to church to church. And I feel like going to this one on this Sunday, this one on this Sunday. And then we wonder why we're not growing. Listen, don't overestimate how much one church service is going to impact your heart. We think that. Like if I go here, I just need a rush today. Don't overestimate that one church service. And don't underestimate what five years of healthy teaching at the same local church will do to you. God continues to feed and open the eyes of His people today and it's through His Word in the context of a church. Are you growing? Are you going to the place you can have your eyes open? Because God in His grace continues to still open our eyes. We mature as our vision increases. Friend, be in the Word. Look for the glory of Christ. Be surrounded by people to speak truth to you. And if you're growing, be thankful. Think back to where you were a year ago today. January 2018. Think what sins have dwindled and what affections have increased. Do you realize that that's God opening your eyes still? Continuously showing you grace. We should be thankful. Finally, point number three. This is the last one and it's real quick. Unbelief is blindness. Blindness. We see that maturity is about removing blindness. But for believers, vision will one day be perfected. Turn to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, John chapter 17, this high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying to the Father. Jesus is praying for His disciples He's also praying for all believers, which would include you. And in John 17, Jesus prays this Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. That Jesus' prayer is that you would make it to heaven so that you would see his glory his greatness heaven is not about relief and all the pleasures for us it is primarily about seeing and enjoying Christ and then we get to first John 3 1 and 2. see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Now lock in. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. That in seeing Christ, you will be transformed to the image of Christ. Listen, there's a lot of things in this life that I like. There's a lot of things in this life that I don't like. We don't have time to talk about those now, but I'll tell you one thing I hate. I hate my flesh. I hate the fact that I could look at the Word and see the beauty of Christ and still say the things that I say and think the things that I think and feel towards others the way that I feel. I'm sure you hate the fact that if you're a Christian, that, that though you love Jesus, that there is this lingering sin that you just can't seem to beat. And in this life, you pray, God, open my eyes, help me to beat this sin. I'm to see your glory and beat it. That's said Corinthians 3.18, we see His glory, we grow. But we can know this. There is coming a day that you will finally, perfectly see Christ. And the benefit of that is that you will be changed. And you will finally be the person that you were back to the image of God that we were supposed to be in. Reflecting, enjoying, savoring the Savior forever. So be of courage. God is growing us. And one day, those of us who He's opened our eyes, we will see Him perfectly. Father, thank You for tonight. Thank You for this time to to look at Your Word. Thank You for Your goodness and grace.